This is the show with Cannon Brown. Do everything you can uh, to out-hustle the competition. Now, it's important to have balance, no question. Um, but I'm a believer, no matter what talent level you have or what goal you're trying to achieve, if you'll just outwork and out-hustle those around you, you're going to be sec- uh, very successful. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the show. As always, I'm your host, Cannon Brown, and it is Thursday, August 15th. Wow, guys, a week flew by really fast for me. I don't know about you guys, but I've been having a great one. I'm, uh, I'm back in Tucson for school. Uh, school starts up in, in another uh, uh, two weeks or something like that. So I'm back in Tucson trying to get moved into my new apartment pretty soon uh, and start school back up and uh, try to finish this deal off. I've been in it for too long. I'm ready to be out. Uh, that's enough about me, though. Uh, I've got a great guest for you today. And let me tell you guys, my voice gets more passionate the more I speak about him because when I talk to you guys about mentors and mentors that have been in my life, there's one name that comes to mind uh, at the forefront, and that is uh, Dr. Brett Kaysen. Dr. Kaysen uh, worked at CSU for over 17 years, or around 17 years. Uh, for a part of that time, he was the judging coach there, the head judging coach, had a very successful uh, career in the, in the judging world being a coach. Um, in fact, my two judging coaches when I was in junior college were under him and they say he was incredible as a judging coach. I've only known him as kind of uh, a professional uh, through NJSA and National Pork Board and Zoetis, but um, a long list of accolades for this guy, and, and guys, he just he knocks your socks off. Uh, if, you ever, if you guys have ever heard him speak anywhere, um, he's just incredible. And I sound like a nerd, guys. I sound like a little dweeb because... This is one of my biggest mentors right here, and I wanted to sound professional, and I think in the beginning of the episode, I just, I, I was too much in my little, uh, like, hey, uh, my, my radio voice, I guess I should say, is, I, I, I sound like a little nerd trying to figure out uh, what this guy's deal is, because I, I just want to make a good impression on him, so I hope you guys laugh at that, because um, I certainly did when I listened to this episode back, I was like, wow, I really could have... Uh, made it a little bit more personable with the way I was talking. But I, I think it was a still a really good conversation uh, in its own right. Um, and maybe you guys will get a kick out of it. Maybe it's just cringy for me. I don't know. I don't like listening to myself talk. Guys, it's horrible when I have to go back and edit these videos. I I almost want to skip past every time I talk. Just It's weird for me to hear myself. I don't know about you guys, but it is for me. Um but yeah, I've been talking a lot, and I will—I'll uh, give you guys to Brett Kaysen, I guess. So, uh, without further ado, let's do it, Doctor Brett Kaysen. You're safer here than any place else. Now, just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Well, um, Brett, I wanted to start off by talking about the exposition this year. Um, it's the first time that they've kind of moved to the exposition, and before it was the expo with the the grand. Um, Kind of whole whole deal with the vendors there and everything, but with African swine fever uh, in full swing around the world, they've kind of moved it to the exposition. I wanted to kind of get your take on it. What what did you think of the whole show? First and foremost, I was uh, excited that we had the hog show, and I think you know, Cannon, for those uh, you know those audiences you and I play in as being show pig enthusiasts, when we can't when they canceled the World Pork Expo, I think those of us that participate in the pig show portion of that event were really worried that, oh my goodness, maybe we won't have a pig show in Des Moines in June. And so first and foremost, I was grateful that the show did go on. Um, I will tell you, uh, it was eerily quiet. You know, you miss the allied industry component. You miss the commercial vendors being there. You miss the commercial producers and the opportunity for our young people to interact and that interact with that great industry. And so great hog show, great time. Glad we had it, but uh, still not the same as what would have been the World Pork Expo. Yeah, I wish I could have gone this year just to kind of check out the difference, but I remember half the fun of going to the actual show was going to that huge convention center with all those vendors, and as a 12-year-old or 12 to 17-year-old, you just walk by, get semen rods, lube. You didn't need any, but people were just passing them out like it was nothing. You got ice cream. It, It was 
one of the best parts of going to the show. I'm glad you say that, Cannon. It's, uh, yeah, you're alluding to the varied industry building is what we call that building at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. And uh, props to my wife, Tara. Uh, years ago, when the girls were first showing at the World Pork Expo, gosh, when they were as young as three years old, Cannon, uh, she created what they call, uh, or what she called a scavenger hunt. And she'd put on her list, you know, uh, AI rods or feed supplements or a pizza cutter or pick your <laughs> pick, pick your trinket right and and those girls actually enjoyed going up there to the varied industries building and scavenging and hunting for these things but there was a side benefit canon that I've now realized is that when they were talking to the folks uh, at those trade show booths those vendors would interact with those young ladies and they would come back and say hey Brett I learned the, or dad I learned this or hey, uh, I found a new feed supplement we can put in our feed that will reduce the fly population. And so we started that as something fun and to keep them engaged. But really what it became was an educational opportunity to the commercial hog business. So uh, we can relate to the Brown family. That's what the Cason family did too. We enjoyed the buried industries building. Good time. It it was a great way to learn and a great way to pick up some free stuff. And you're exactly right. I remember going in there and and seeing uh, farrowing crates and just wondering, oh, wow, those – those are really sweet. I can't wait to have a, a set of my own. Just seeing in there, they look so pretty. They're expensive. They look nice. Like, I just can't wait to own a set of those and raise some hogs of my own. So it was it was a great way to kind of look on the future and look what it has to offer. Yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite things. I'm with you. Or what are the new facilities? You know, what are the latest gadgets or technologies? Or, exactly. you know, to your point, farrowing stalls or electronic sow feeders and some of those things, you know, some kids want a bike for Christmas and people like you and I, we want new farrowing stalls. So. Exactly. And I shouldn't say farrowing crates. You caught me on that. I should say farrowing stalls. Good no call. worries. No worries. <laughs> or maternity pins. You call them what you want. Oh, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. yeah. Maternity pins is a good uh, good way to describe what we do in the industry. That is a great way to describe it. Well, at, at the exposition, you, um, towards the end of the week, I believe it was before Grand Drive, you kind of... Uh, uh, hosted a, a panel called Perspectives in Progress, and it was kind of centered around biosecurity with uh, the whole African swine fever happening. Um, and you hosted that and kind of led the questions. Uh, I didn't get to see it in person. I wanted to kind of get your take on it. How did that go? And because you were hosting it, you were right there in the middle of it. So how do you think that went? And did people learn anything? Yeah, thanks, Ken. And it was a, a phenomenal opportunity for me to moderate a fantastic panel. And National Pork Board was the host of the panel. Um, shout out to our producer services team here at the National Pork Board. That was their thought. That was their vision. Um, they actually uh, did all the pre-planning work, the strategic work to make it happen. And I was just so uh, fortunate enough that they asked me to moderate the panel. And so I want to recognize Bill Winkleman and his entire producer services team here at the National Pork Board. And really the the end in mind, Canon, or uh, talk about the success was what we're trying to do with these young people is to understand and augment their understanding of biosecurity and how important that is to them as show pig enthusiasts and show pig breeders and those that exhibit show pigs, whether it be on a local, state, or national level. And then how that biosecurity also transpires into the greater good of our larger pork producers in the commercial industry across the U.S. And so we had a nice crowd ringside, a lot of attentive young people. You saw people as young as, you know, eight years old in the crowd. And then you had the the Chris Danners and the Jim McCoys of the world in the crowd as well. And I think the last time I heard 2,500 people watching online through Walton Webcast. And so, wow. I think that's a tremendous success, lots of positive feedback, and I think there's opportunities for us to do those kinds of things moving forward at various shows. Yeah, it was incredible, and I saw um, kind of just the Facebook blast afterwards. I know that uh, Jennifer Scheich posted on porkbusiness.com. She wrote that article about it. Um, oh, Brett, can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay, absolutely. sorry. I, th- I thought uh, I was looking at my laptop, and it wasn't picking me up, it looked like, but um, so Jennifer put that on uh, on a uh, uh, porkbusiness.com and a lot of people found it and they were very interested. It was it looked like a really, really interesting uh, panel and uh, biosecurity is one of the most important things in our industry, not only the pork industry, but all industries alike. 
Absolutely. Benny Moat, who was on the panel uh, from the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, um, he, he brought out a quote that I thought was phenomenal. And, and what he said was essentially this, um, we are all pig farmers. We are all in this together. And although the phenotype of the pigs we raise, show pig enthusiasts versus the commercial industry, may look different in phenotype, we're in it together. And uh, we're a unified front together. And I thought that was well said. And uh, I repeated that, I think, several times as the moderator that day because I thought he nailed it, is at the end of the day, if we have one pig or we have millions of pigs, biosecurity is fundamental to the success of our industry today and moving forward. Exactly. And uh, I remember reading that article. That was one of the quotes that was kind of outlined and highlighted for everybody to see that uh, there's different phenotypes, but a pig is a pig is a pig is a pig. I, it, it goes for all of them which I think is very important to remember. It is, and I can tell you personally, Ken, and as a dad, uh, I'm going to give you a couple examples of the impact that the panel had, as well as the other education around the exposition that the National Pork Board hosted, was um, we had some friends of ours from Iowa that were pinned right next to us. Uh, just so happened their son was still in school, and McKinley, our youngest daughter, said, Dad, we should clean their pen out and help them out today. And I said, I agree. And I actually handed her our scoop that we use to clean out our pins at the exposition. She says, no, nope, we can't use that one. We have to use theirs uh, from a biosecurity perspective. So, oh, that's incredible. That was one example of an eight-year-old that, that got it. And then uh, as we got home, uh, our 10-year-old Landry, she said, okay, Dad, uh, as soon as we get home, we'll clean out the trailer and we'll disinfect it. So that's when you actually know you had impact, right, and that those young minds are capturing what's being said and demonstrated. And to me, that's what good looks like. Well, I want to, I want to ask you, how does that make you feel as a father to know that uh, things that you've said and that um, you've kind of moderated being said have stuck with your girls? I know you have a lot of people come up to you on a daily basis saying, oh, I heard you speak at this event and, and it just changed my whole aspect and side of the industry. But how does it feel when your own daughters come up to you and, and you know that they actually sucked in the information that you gave them. Sense of pride, Cannon. Really, a sense of pride. Obviously, you're proud of them that their uh, their mind is open and they're taking in the information and retaining it. And you know me and known me long enough that you know you wake up. I wake up every morning and say, "How can you leave this industry better than you found it?" Because that's really what drives me internally. And it's those kind of tangible examples that make me feel like I'm having somewhat of an impact in this awesome industry that we're involved in. Exactly. And I, I remember one part of that article was, um, I don't remember who said it, and I wish I would have wrote it down, but they said, practice uh, biosecurity as if um, your greatest mentor is looking over your shoulder. And that is, that's the best way to put it. Because if you're acting like your greatest mentor is looking over your shoulder at your work, or your grandmother's looking over your shoulder at your work, they should be impressed and they shouldn't um, uh, think less of you because of it. Yeah, I wish I could remember which panelist said that as well. And I do remember that sticking out. And wow, what a what a way to be the guardrails for us as producers when we wake up and deal with these pigs every day, right? Is that your biggest mentor is looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing the right thing for the right reason every day. Exactly. Now, I wanted to ask you one more question about this, uh, about the panel. And um, it's a lofty question, so uh, don't be... Uh, surprised by it but I wanted to ask you what what you think the future of our industry not just the pork industry but uh, the ag industry as a whole as uh, livestock grows around the world and diseases are growing with it how do we correlate and how do we how do we live together is it biosecurity is the only answer or is there is there other answers that we can kind of look to great question I I think it's a uh, large discussion obviously but one that uh, we face every day here at the National Pork Board. And fundamentally, it's, it's not only biosecurity, but it's primarily biosecurity. And it's prevention. So it's how do we keep these things out, right? How do we keep from getting these challenges? And I think if we fundamentally start there, that helps us a great deal in terms of the, the health and population of our swine herd. Now, the other thing is, I'd say the second part to my answer is technology. How can we utilize the current technologies that are here today and those that are coming to help us even advance our biosecurity opportunity 
and or if we were to get a disease outbreak of some kind, how can we use those technologies to rapidly detect it and also then um, draw a circle around it, if you will, to where we can contain it so the continuity and the speed of business can go on in the states or somewhere around the world as we need it. So biosecurity and adoption and adaptation of technology, I think, is mission critical for the future of the uh, animal and uh, protein business. Now, what kind of technologies are you talking about? Is there one specific that um, you're thinking about? Or because I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not very fluent in the technology aspect of the industry, especially when it comes to biosecurity. And I don't assume everyone else is. So um, what kind of technology are you talking about? Several that are out there, but I'll give you one example, uh, a broad example, but an example is this idea of using sensors and video imagery uh, to, to depict a sick pig. And so there's actually sensing technology that you can put on a pig's skin that will read through an RFID tag if they're getting a temperature. Uh, there's also this imagery uh, technology that's out there that will depict how many times a pig's gone to the feed or gone to the water over the last three days and if that rate's declining so that you could pick up on a potential health event that's subclinical and sign before it becomes a clinical sign. So I think the future of using video in barn and these sensor type um, mechanisms that we have to report animal health back uh, would be two examples of technologies that we are using today and I think need to scale and leverage in the future. Yeah, that's incredible. And and as our uh, human, I mean, as our medical program for us improves, I'm sure um, our medical technologies for livestock will keep improving with it. Right. I, that That's uh, safe to assume, correct? I think it's a safe assumption, though, Candon, because let me give you an example of something that uh, a year ago I learned about. I thought it was very, very intriguing in the human health perspective, as you state. There is a technology that was developed in California out there today where they actually take a chip and they've proven that they can implant that on a person's front teeth. And then as this person, as a human, is consuming fluids, uh, as they're consuming food, it actually starts to read the caloric intake they're taking and what those foodstuffs are made up of. And so um, that's innovative, that's cutting edge, and some say, may say that's way out there. It's here today for humans, although not to scale. And so you can't help but think that if we're using that in human medicine, there's going to be a correlation and a connection back to pig farming as well. Yeah, there has to be. And and, and uh, you're with National Pork Board, so obviously you're kind of with pig farming, but uh, with all types of farming as well. Yes. I mean, a good example is our farming friends, um, you know, they're using sensors in the soil that yeah. says, hey, this is how much water's needed. Oh, this is, we're way over on water. Oh, here's the nutrient density. Here's an application rate that you should put on in terms of manure or not. And so, you know, our, uh, our farming friends have already started to perfect some of these sensors. And so you can see it to evolve in the live animals now. And it's a lot of fun and exciting to be a part of the industry with that kind of technology available. Yeah, well, it's incredible what uh, the technologies that are coming up in the, in the farming industry right now. It's, it's wild how much it's grown in, in the last 20 to 40 years. It's, it's been insane. Um, but, and it's made it a lot easier for American farmers or worldwide farmers. Yes, and there are more um, outside venture capitalists that are now interested in the ag sector that maybe don't know about farming or ranching or any of the uh, ag commodities that we have, but they are interested in technology and investing in technologies that pay back. And so we see a lot of venture capitalists today investing in the ag space for return on their investment, but it also makes them feel good that they're making a difference globally. That is one thing that I have heard lately is that a lot of investors are moving toward the ag sector because they see us growing so much. They see that agriculture is the future. It has to be a part of the future of, of humans for us to survive. So I, I have heard that a lot of investors are, are kind of going towards the agriculture sector when pursuing um, investments, which is great. That's, that's incredible that we're getting kind of that capital coming our way big opportunity for our food systems. And um, yes, I see it as total opportunity. And as you know, more people want to know where their food comes from and what's in it. And that's part of the reason behind these investments as well. They may be way disconnected with farm level procedures, but they want to know about them. 
and they're trying to help create these technologies that allow them to do that in a proactive way with working producers on their side. Exactly. Well, let's get to you, Brett, Dr. Kaysen. Let's let's talk about you. So you grew up in Colorado. You grew up in uh, right outside of Denver, didn't you? That's correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. Where, where Denver International Airport is today, at one time we had a small farm adjacent to that property. Yes. Really? Yes. That's awesome. That What a small world. Yes. Are you, are yes. you, uh, are you keen on the um, uh, conspiracy theories for the Denver <laughs> International Airport? You know, I've been asked that so many times in my travels about the secret <laughs> underworld below DIA. And, uh, to date, no, I have not witnessed nor experienced nor believe in the conspiracy, but we'll let that uh, let that be fol- folklore for those that are passionate about it. So. I'm telling you what, if you want to watch uh, an interesting 10 to 15 minute video, go on YouTube and watch that because I'm not saying any of it's true, but the thought that's put into it is pretty astounding. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So you grow up. You grow up outside of Denver, and uh, you you just start. Uh, your your family really wasn't into livestock, were they? I mean, I know your mother grew up on a farm, right? Yeah, my mother grew up on a farm in eastern Nebraska, which is a diversified farm, and and my dad grew up really in North Denver, although. Uh, his family was always involved in the packing industry around the old stockyards by the National Western Stock Show, which I know you've been to, Cannon. And so, though all not directly involved in animals, uh, live animals in production, had a good sense of the packing industry. But yeah, the first seven years of my life, I actually grew up in a suburb of Denver, and then was fortunate enough to move out, uh, you know, to uh, eastern, you know, just east of Denver, there, forty-five minutes, and, and start the pig project. And how ha- and. You said start that pig project. What what was the beginning of you kind of beginning in 4-H and FFA and showing livestock? You know, it's all about the people, and I'm so fortunate. The older I get, although I don't view myself as old, the older I get, I think about the people that have touched my life to help uh, create the path that I'm on. And I tell this story frequently. My mom and dad uh, got a random call to the house one day, and it was a gentleman by the name of Jay Hayes. Jay Hayes lived in the adjoining county and said, I know you're new to the area. Uh, Your son's about to be 4-H age. We raise show pigs and love to have him involved. Please come take a look. And we did. Of course, my mom had a great background in 4-H and understood it. And We went to Jay Hayes' house. We picked up a a Yorkshire Baron, a Duroc Barrow uh, named Charlotte and Wilbur, and we were in the pig business at eight years old, and the rest is history. Do you think that you would have uh, pursued that... um kind of activity and sport if that guy wouldn't have came up to you guys that just the new family on the block i don't think so cannon i i really don't think so and you, you never know right but, yeah you never uh, know you know i shared this uh in in a situation at the exposition just a couple weeks ago that said you know it's about uh it's about the pig people and the voices that you listen to and i'm so glad that jay hayes called my mom and dad and said hey we want this young man to be involved and uh, if he wouldn't have called, I don't know what the path would have looked like. And so I'm grateful for that, I can tell you. And did you show any other uh, livestock besides pigs, or, or were you just focused on hogs? Focused on hogs, all pigs all the time. We did have a diversified farm with some other species, but in terms of showing livestock, it was all about pigs. You know, that's how I was, and I uh, I look back on showing now, and I, I don't really regret it. They, <laughs> they're just so intelligent, they have, they have, the, per- they have the best personalities, um, I don't regret just sticking to a single species. I had some goats for a little bit, but I never showed them. But hogs were always my go-to as well. I agree. And I think with young people today, I mean, and I'm not saying just show one species. That's not what I'm saying. But boy, focus on something and be really, really excellent at it. You know, I worry at times our young people are involved in so many things because there's so many opportunities out there that they spread their time uh, over many activities. And I wonder if they can ever excel at a few, you know, so, um, that's where I landed and I thought I could put laser like focus on the pig project and, and was successful along the way. That's interesting. I want to backtrack to what you just said too, because I find this concept very interesting how, um, some people want kids to be very involved in everything and just get their lick of every, uh, activity. And some people want, uh, their kids to just excel at one thing. Uh, I see pros and cons in both. Um, obviously you're on the side of just kind of sticking to, to one thing. Why, why is that that you just want people to excel in just, uh, one thing and kind of stick to it? 
you know, I'm a believer in excellence and, uh, and I'm not suggesting, right, that uh, we don't allow young people to follow their passion or passions, plural. You know, for instance, our girls show pigs, but they're involved in band and choir and dance as well. Uh, and the reality is those young girls at 10 and 8 can and even have more opportunities than you did at that age. Exactly. And I believe in balance and well-rounded people. But at the end of the day, when you think about us developing leaders through these livestock projects, eventually the marketplace wants to find people that are experts uh, and or excellent and be able to deliver in a position, whatever that position ever, uh, ever becomes for them a career wise. So if we can kind of hone their skills on a few things and make them excellent as opposed to average and do a lot of things, I think that plays well for them later in their career life. Uh, that's a good way to put it. And I, I'm just looking at it, the devil's advocate saying, oh, well, if they want to do something, why not let them do it? But no, I, and I completely agree with you on your side as well. There's, there's not really a right answer. It just kind of depends on the person and it depends on who who that person is growing up with in the household agreed i agree with that but you you show hogs and you get very involved in it and it's funny how people kind of end up showing livestock and they're in the show ring with that judge and they look at the judge and say wow i want to be that person and they kind of flow into livestock judging is that kind of the path that you took or was there another path into livestock judging for you That was the path um, is watching and respecting those that were evaluating me as a showman, but also as, you know, driving breeding hogs and market hogs. Uh, But it was really another mentor by the name of Don McLennan that found me in the pig barn, uh, who he was actually a cattleman, but found me in the pig barn at the Adams County Fairgrounds and said, I'm the 4-H livestock judging coach. We have a successful program. Uh, We feel that you would be a great addition to the team and come along for the ride. And I was passionate about baseball, as you are, Cannon. Matter of fact, after this uh, interview today, I'm going to attend the Iowa Cubs game tonight. And oh, nice. I thought I was going to be a baseball player and uh, and still love the game. But Don McLennan showed me a different path to, to, to get to where maybe there was a bigger, broader career path for me besides baseball and probably a, a, a wider opportunity that was easier to get to through livestock judging. And so – Don said, come along for the ride. I didn't know what livestock judging was in a contents, contest sense. I did know what it was, obviously, from watching the show ring. But he got me started, and, man, what a passion I had for it. And I loved it, and I still love it today. And you were pretty good at it. I was fortunate. I was I was very fortunate. Thank you. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to win the State 4-H contest my senior year in, in high school at Colorado and then had a successful junior college and senior college career. And, I wasn't the most naturally gifted. There were some that were much more talented and gifted than I was, but I had enough talent, and then I just tried to outwork them, you know, to, to continue to make that top 10 in every, pretty much every contest I competed in. So, Now, I'm sure there's going to be uh, some kids listening to this trying to get better at livestock judging in a contest sense and, and try to be the best person on the team. Being as though you didn't have as much natural talent and you had to kind of work your tail off to pick up the other slack, how did you do that? I did a lot of listening, and I think all of us can be better there. Um, some of us, I think, we think we listen so we can listen to figure out what we're going to say next. So I did a lot of listening, and I did a lot of listening to both my teammates, my coach, but also producers in which where we went to practice. You know, I figured if someone was running 500 head of mother cows, Charlotte mother cows, you know, Sand Hills in Nebraska, uh, and was in their mid-40s and had done it at a successful level, I better pay attention to what good cattle are that are fundamentally correct that make this person money each and every day, as well as then learn how to evaluate them in a pen of four. So uh, that's what I'd encourage everybody to do, is you can learn something from every livestock person you're around. And some of that you have to filter, but there's probably a takeaway from every place and every person you meet. I just tried to catalog those both on paper and mentally, and, uh, and, and build upon that with my skill set. It's great what lengths we'll go through when we're passionate about something. And when we're passionate and we want to be the best at something, the things that we'll do to, to work and, and, and try to be the best, it's astounding what we can set our minds to. Starts with the heart, right? And um, I agree, Ken, and you've heard the quote something, you know, find something you're passionate about in your career and you'll never work a day in your life. And some may call that cliche. I call it dead accurate. And uh, 
once you find something that you wake up and you're fired up and excited to do and to achieve and work towards, it's not work, it's fun. And uh, I hope everybody can find that in their life from a career perspective. Because there's days that I think that I'm just blessed that some folks have a job, it pays well, they're doing okay, but they're really not passionate about their job. I can't imagine going to work and not being excited every day. Yeah, that's one thing that I've always noticed about you. I, I've known you, you, you've only had three jobs since I've known you. You worked at CSU for a majority of the time that I've known you, and you've worked at Zoetis and now National Pork Board. And it always seems that you're very, very happy um, with the path that you're taking and, and with your employment. Always have been. Always have been. You, you mentioned Colorado State. You mentioned Zoetis. You mentioned the National Pork Board. And, and although those roles are uniquely and inherently different, all three of them, um, man, I was passionate about all three and uh, have enjoyed all three and learned a lot from all three. Now, I will tell you and others, part of that advantage for me of being happy has been that when you get ready to make those career decisions, you have to really vet those and think about the pros and cons because none of them are perfect. And uh, I think I was strategic enough as I made those decisions, whether to leave the university or, or to leave the pharma business and go into the association business. But the thing that I keep coming back to is all three of those jobs predominantly dealt with people and livestock. And those are fundamentally two of my greatest passions. And so although the jobs are different, they come back to people and livestock. And I think that's why I've enjoyed these various roles. Exactly. And I, I kind of want to break down each one of your jobs that you've had, the ones that we've kind of listed, uh, starting out with Colorado State. Um, so you go to Colorado State for senior college, uh, judge there, um, you get your bachelor's at Colorado State, you get your master's there, and then uh, you end up getting your doctorate. Is that correct? That is correct. You, All spent, a, you spent a lot of years in Fort Collins. <laughs> yeah, 17 years at Colorado State <laughs> University on staff, let alone my... Uh, my two other uh, finishing my undergraduate degree. So yeah, almost 20 years in Fort Collins. Wow. 20 years in Fort Collins. And um, I'm sure that experience was just absolutely incredible. What, what was the main thing that you got out of working for Colorado State University? Impact on students. And uh, people always ask me today, Cannon, do you miss teaching? And I say, yes, I do. I miss teaching. I miss advising students and mentoring students. And Matter of fact, an example of what I miss is there was a, a student that just finished her Ph.D. at the University of Nebraska. I got a random text two days ago that says, Dr. Kaysen, thank you for showing this horse girl about the world of pigs and for allowing me to take your swine production course. Look at me now. And she did her Ph.D. in swine fertility work. So her story is unique in that she was a horse girl. Uh, I was her advisor. She took swine production and then she was off to the races. And so wow. those kind of things, uh, man, they make you feel good. They fill up your emotional bank account. And uh, I get to teach today, although the audience is different, but I do miss mentoring young people and seeing students excel and challenging them to get better every day. Yeah. And I'm sure that must have been a hard transition going from just working with people every day to you're working with people, but not not the quantity uh, that you're working with at a university. It must have been a hard transition going to uh, Zoetis. You know, it was, uh, I wouldn't define it as hard. I would say it is unique. And part of it's a mindset shift. And, you know, although you're not teaching in the classroom, my first job with Zoetis was on the dairy side of the business. And what I figured out is, hey, my students just are older now. They look different. Uh, they have different needs. They live in different places. The classroom is now the farm. And if you take that mentality, as I did, uh, I saw myself as a teacher just working for a different organization, and my audience of students was different. And I've taken that same philosophy here to the National Pork Board. I mean, one day I'll be up in front of a bunch of producers. The next day I'll be up in front of a bunch of uh, retail stores. The next day maybe in front of a bunch of no, uh, non-governmental organizations. It's all about teaching, and you just have to identify the audience and connect with them and figure out what their needs and wants are and move forward. So still teaching today, although it looks different. Yeah, and I I think that you are um, – I don't mean to uh, be a brown noser, but I think that you're one of the best teachers that I've ever experienced or at least one of the best speakers that I've seen. You always get everyone in the room fired up when you talk about the industry. I don't know what you do or the trick that you put on us, but – Everyone that leaves the room when you're talking, at, when you're done, 
they are fired up. They want to they want to prove to everyone else that the, the ag industry is the best, and they want to go out and do do some good for it. So, I commend you for that. Well, I appreciate the can uh, the compliment, Cannon. It means a lot. It really does. And you know, I think about that, and we all have gifts, right? And uh, I think I was uh, given the gift of the ability to present verbally to motivate people. Um, now I have plenty of weaknesses and, um, I look at other folks and I'm saying, man, I wish I could be like them in this trait. But I think what we do is we try to augment our weaknesses that we have personally and professionally, but more play to our strengths. That's been my strategy and it's good to hear your compliment. And as you've seen me do the things I do and I'll keep, uh, trying to do the best I can to motivate young people that are passionate about our industry. Yeah. And I think that you're completely right. We, we definitely find our strengths and, um, yours is, uh, giving well-motivated speeches. I think mine is just talking a lot. So, uh, I'm trying to play to that strength right now with this podcast. I can just say a lot of words. <laughs> well, Cannon, let me tell you, if we had time, you have plenty of strengths that I would be happy to listen. Oh to you God. Talking a lot. So, uh, don't sell yourself short, my friend. Oh no. But, uh, so you go after Colorado state, um, you transfer over to Zoetis working for, um, kind of the dairy, uh, pharma industry, am I correct? Correct, yes, sir. And uh, it, being a hog kid, and I know you um, helped out at the cow-calf operation at CSU and the sheep operation, but primarily a hog kid, how was that um, kind of transition going and talking to dairymen and, and being in that industry uh, full force when you weren't very familiar with it at first? Very intimidating. And uh, as I was interviewing for the job, I was very candid, clear and transparent with those that were looking to hire me that said, listen, uh, I have lots of skills, but if you're looking for an expert in the dairy business, I'm not your person. And again, a mentor and one of those people that touch your lives, uh, Mr. Steve Busson, who hired me at Zoetis as my first supervisor, have worlds of respect for him as a leader and as a great person, said, no, you have other skills we need. We can teach you the dairy portion. And he did that. Now, walking on a large dairy operation that's been in the family for four generations, and that's what they've done, still intimidating. But I think the key to these things, and we'll all face these in our career, is you need to approach them in a proactive sense. And I always say, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And that was my whole goal was these folks are experts. Uh, The good Lord gave me two ears and one mouth. I'm going to close my mouth and listen. And then where I can provide value, uh, I'm happy to verbalize that or show that. And then obviously over a year and a half, you get more comfortable with the business. But it was good for me. It got me out of my comfort zone and it's made me a better professional. Yeah, I was just going to say so many people, uh, when looking to transition from job to job, they they look for what's comfortable and they look for what they know. Um, and it's, it's insane. And it's another one of your character traits that I find uh, – awesome is that you're you're not scared to kind of go out of your comfort zone and learn something new if you think that if you think that you can be good at it and that you have value to add to to that program i love to be challenged and my my wife Tara, who you know uh, always says wow when are you ever just comfortable and i said the day i'm comfortable is the day i quit i (laughs) i i uh I worry about just becoming mediocre, being comfortable. And if I feel like I'm getting into that space, I look for the next great challenge. And uh, it's just how I'm wired, I believe, in my heart of hearts. And I appreciate those that have done the same thing for 30 years or 20 years. I am so glad we have people like that. I'm just not wired that way. And I need to always have the next goal, the next mountain to conquer. And it's what drives me every day. Yeah, you want to get out there and experience new things. Absolutely. And your new experiences with uh, National Pork Board, um, you're the Vice President of Sustainability? Assistant, yeah, Assistant Vice President of Sustainability is the official title. That is correct, Cannon. And there's a role again. Uh, As I took that on, I I think I made the joke to some senior leadership. I said, I can spell sustainability, but I'm not sure what it is. And uh, here we go again, uh, learning a new field, learning a new discipline. Uh, learning a new science, right? And uh, I'm an animal scientist. I wasn't trained in sustainability, but boy, have I enjoyed the ride so far the the first 15 months being on staff at the National Pork Board. And kind of tell me about your role there, because I know when you tell me assistant vice president of sustainability, uh, I'm thinking the same thing that you thought when you were hired, because I know a little bit about sustainability, but not that much. So 
could you tell me about your role with the National Pork Board? Happy to. And, and the, the basic premise I can give you is my job is to connect pig farming as a practice to pork as a food. And an example of that would be this. I was in uh, Chicago last week meeting with a large retail food company. And, you know, they have questions about how is pork raised? Is pork safe? What's the antibiotic policies? What's the housing types? And the reason they're asking these questions is because their customers who buy pork and eat that product are asking those questions of them. And so when we talk about sustainability, it's all about the environment, the community, public health, food safety, animal well-being, several things. And it's my job to come in as the person that can connect the dots from the farm all the way to the fork uh, through varying audiences in which we touch. And so it's a big job. Every day is different. Uh, there's always new challenges and opportunities, but that surely makes it fun. Yeah, so you're fa- you're basically kind of facilitating um, the information uh, from National Pork Board to uh, these producers and other people that are buying pork. That's a great way to put it, uh, a facilitator of information or maybe even a, a conduit of information. Uh, for instance, I had the opportunity to meet with some of our state uh, executives of the different pork associations across the U.S. yesterday. And my job in that role was to, as they are the leaders of these state associations, I was the conduit of saying, okay, this is what the packers, the processors, the retailers, and the quick service restaurants are asking relative to pork production questions. And so facilitating that information from the marketplace back to those leaders who drive these pig farmers and help them on a state level. That's awesome. Yeah, that that's absolutely incredible. And the only thing that I uh, would think would be uh, a turnoff for you from this job was to move to Iowa. But I don't think you're really upset about that either. Hey, great question. <laughs> you know, Colorado native. Uh, lived there 45 years of my life. My wife's a Colorado native. Our kids were born there. And uh, Colorado will always be home. Uh, big transition moving to the Midwest. Um you know, but it's been so phenomenal for our family. You know, my wife is such a great mentor and partner to me. And she's always said, listen, it's your heart of hearts. You're a pig kid and uh, just a bigger kid now, older kid. <laughs> and if you want to be in the pig business, you got to get to the Midwest. And what better place for myself and my family who's passionate about pigs to be in the number one pig production state in Iowa. And so we are really enjoying the transition and living in Iowa. Oh, it's perfect for you. <laughs> and I'm sure Landry and McKinley are having a great time. They are. Yeah, they. it's all ag all the time. And, uh, you know, it's given them a view of the commercial side of the business. And uh, they've enjoyed that as well. So we're fortunate. I was worried about the transition as a dad, um, you know, with schools and the like. And, you know, it just went extremely well. So we've settled in here in Iowa and couldn't be happier. That's awesome. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. You kind of just alluded to it. But uh, being a dad to these two young girls... Um, coming up, going to school, coming up in the industry, you have set such a high standard um, just being you. you. You worked for CSU for 17 years. You, you were at Colorado State for over, or for over 17 years. You've had outstanding jobs and uh, outstanding accolades. How do you kind of, um, as they start to grow older, how do you kind of just mentor them without being uh, kind of overbearing? I feel like that's hard for parents these days. Such an insightful question, Cannon. Uh, A great question. And I truly mean that because you're spot on with your question. And secondly, I've thought about that, to be quite frank, even before those girls were born. And that may uh, find your listening audience think, wow, this guy's kind of (laughs) weird. But but you're right. Um, I decided early on. Uh, when they started to, to get into the pig project that, listen, I never want to cast a shadow upon them that they have to meet a certain bar or expectation. I want them to, to pave their own path. And uh, whatever that path is that they so choose. Now, deep down, I hope they stick with this thing called pig farming and pork is a food. And it looks like that's their passion as well. But an example of how I've handled this is at our house, the girls do the work. Uh, Tara and I have rallied around that since they were three years old and started showing. Obviously, at three, there's only so much they can do versus what they can do at eight and ten. 
And to be quite frank, there's times where maybe we're not as competitive in a class as we could have if mom and dad would have been more involved in, you know, doing a little more clipping of the pig or actually do a little more training of the pig. Um, but we've just decided it's the girls and they need to own this. Uh, it's their business. It's their project and their success needs to be dependent on how much they're going to put into it. Now, don't get me wrong. Tara and I are there to support them, help them do the things they can't do. Uh, but I'm very, very hands off and uh, maybe sometimes to a fault. And at times you'll actually see at the show that I, uh, I'll be watching them in the ring from a distance and that I want them to carve their own way. And I want it to be about Landry and McKinley and not about dad. I think that is very unique, uh, especially now, because uh, it seems like now more than ever, the parents are very, very involved in uh, the kids' uh, projects. And the parents almost seem to be more competitive than the kids these days, um, which I think is a problem that we need to sort out in this industry at a later date, I guess. We probably need to start talking about it, but it's fine. Um, but it's it's hard to look at that and let your kids just kind of go and, and not have that competitive side and just say, you know what, it's their project. They're going to do what they want to do, and they'll they'll learn it as they go. It's, it's a challenge because obviously uh, as a parent, you don't want to see them fail. You want to see them excel and succeed. But I also know there's going to be a day they're going to leave and uh, they're going to leave our house. They're going to be 18 and go um, do whatever they so choose to do. And they've got to have that individual work ethic, passion, and integrity to uh, succeed more than they fail. But letting them fail, having a conversation of why we came short of the goal and how are we going to modify our behavior to achieve it next time, that is so valuable. And maybe they don't see it today as 8 and 10, but someday when they get into their 20s, they're like, I get it now. And um, listen, we're competitors. We love to win. And, you know, I was so proud of um, of Landry at the exposition. She exhibited the uh, reserve bread known Landry's guilt. And, you know, the photographer said, hey, do you folks want to get in the backdrop with her? And my wife's comment was, not really. This is her deal and this is her highlight. And so, you know, I'm not opposed to families getting together and taking pictures. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Landry did the work. Uh, Landry was focused on the goal and she achieved it. And so let's let her have her day in the sun. And she's the one that needs to be in the picture. And she'll remember that forever. I, she will. She will. Uh, yes. I remember uh, there's not a lot of times in showing that I truly remember just winning. There's not a lot of those banners that I really remember every single detail the night that I won the banner. But the times that I didn't win the banner, those are ingrained in my memory. I remember every loss. I remember every time where I had fallen short, but I knew that if I had done something six months before, four months before, I maybe would have got a different um, outlook on the show or, or something like that. It's it's really important to learn from the uh, the difficult times rather than the, the uh, joyous times. And you've sat through some of my talks, Cannon, to your point that, you know, sometimes I give what I call the 10 steps to success. And the first one I say is don't be afraid to fail. And I think at times we've created a culture uh, in the in the U.S. that we prop these young people up because we don't want them to fail. And it hurts to watch them. But you're going to learn from that. And a lot of times you're going to fail. To your point, you're going to fail or fall short, maybe is a better word, of your goal than you had set out. And it's not about the falling short or the failure. It's about how do you respond to that and how do you become better as an individual so that you can limit your mistakes next time. Exactly. Well, that's kind of um, all the questions that I had for you. I wanted to ask you one more thing uh, because uh, we've kind of t said that you're just a great speaker and you give great advice. So um, not everyone can hear you speak personally. So if you have any advice for young people uh, coming up in this industry, I'd like to uh, give you the floor. Yeah, no pressure there, right? Yeah, no, no pressure. Just <laughs> Yeah, words of wisdom. Um, I would tell you, I, I think it really comes down to me to three things. And, and some of these are not new and novel, but I'm going to say them because I think it'll reiterate what we need uh, in, in the world. And first and foremost, it's work ethic. Do everything you can uh, to out-hustle the competition. Now, it's important to have balance, no question. Um, but I'm a believer no matter what talent level you have or what goal you're trying to achieve, if you'll just outwork and out hustle those around you, you're going to be sec uh, very successful. Second thing I would say is uh, 
uh, your ability to communicate. In this world, I'm convinced that great things happen because of great communication. And that can be in writing, that can be uh, verbally, you know, choose and pick your path on what that looks like. It may be through social media pieces, uh, but own that space. And you have to have the ability to communicate and communicate well to be successful uh, today and in the future in whatever, whatever industry you so choose. And then the, the third piece of advice I'd give is expand your network. Uh, meet as many people as possible. Surround yourself with great people. You can learn things of what to do and what not to do from, from all the people that you meet. And so, you know, always create that larger network and build that larger network of people. If you combine that with great communication skills and a work ethic second to none, success is on your path. Well put. <laughs> Very well put. I knew you'd have a good answer for it. There wasn't a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> Thanks for that, Gannon. No, but I, hey, Brett, I really appreciate um, you taking more time. We, to the listeners out there, we did this one time and Brett had me wake up at like 5.30 in the morning. So my mind didn't work and I want, <laughs> I wanted to do it one more time so I could, so I could ask you some better questions, but I thank you for taking more time out of your day to spend it with me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor, Cannon. Uh, always here to help you and thank you for what you're doing. Keep up the great work and, uh, appreciate the opportunity. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care, sir. Yeah, bye. Bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. You guys know what I was talking about, right? With my nerd voice? Yeah. Yeah, I... <laughs> it's all right. It's whatever. I, I'm really happy with that interview, and I hope you guys really, really enjoyed it because he's a wealth of knowledge, and um, I'm sure uh, if you can find him, reach out to him on social media or, or his email or, or something. I'll, I'll plug that stuff on my Instagram or Facebook page. Um, reach out to him because he would absolutely love some interaction with you guys and, and figuring out what what the youth of this industry is thinking about. I think he would uh, uh, be more than apt to, to answer your questions or, or talk to you one-on-one. Um, reminder to everybody, uh, hit subscribe uh, on the Apple Podcast or, or Spotify or Google Play. Hit that little subscribe button. Um, follow me on Instagram, the show pod. Follow me on Facebook, like my page, uh, the show with Cannon Brown. I hope you guys are enjoying it and uh, uh, leave a rating and, and um, leave a review. I hope you guys are liking this um, because I'm really enjoying it. And I saw I, lo- I saw a lot of people that liked the, uh, the Jake Scott interview from last week. Um, I've kind of been promoting that pretty hard on Facebook if you guys haven't seen. So I thought that interview was really good, and I think this interview is is definitely a second to none. So uh, I appreciate all of you, and I will talk to you guys next week. All right. Love you.